Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBT WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT Radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. I hope you had a terrific weekend, and thanks for starting a portion of your brand new week with me on Budweiser's weekday sports beat from 9:60 a.m. WSBT streaming live at wsbtradio.com. Also on our free WSBT radio app, plus a live video stream of the show can be found on the free Twitch app by searching Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is nine minutes after five o'clock on this overcast Monday, October the 24th of 2022. Two hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming your way on WSBT Radio. We've got an inside look at Mishawaka High School Athletics on Cayman Corner at 7 o'clock. We do not have Monday Night Football tonight because we have to protect our sister station, Quality Rock 94.3 FM, the home of the Chicago Bears radio network so if you want to catch the bears and the patriots at 8 15 we ask you to check out our sister station quality rock 94.3 fm it is the start of a busy busy week here on the midwest family south bend stations thursday night football two irish hockey games within the big 10 conference mishawaka football in the postseason and of course Notre Dame taking on number two Syracuse in Upper New York on Saturday. If you missed the note, the kickoff will be at noon. So that means pregame coverage will be bright and early. It'll be earlier than, what, breakfast at Wimbledon, which is, what, 8 a.m. when it is tennis season over there in London. 
Well, right here on WSBT Radio, pregame coverage will start at 6 a.m. Jim Arizari, Tim Grau with Game Day presented by Legacy Heating and Air from 7 to 9. Tyler and I will have Game Day Sports Beat powered by Michelob Ultra from 9 until 11. And then the Irish and the Orange square off at what used to be known as the Carrier Dome Saturday at noon, all right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And Syracuse was 6-0 and going into last Saturday. And they had Clemson down at halftime in Death Valley, but just could not get anything going offensively in the second half. And Clemson rallied to beat Syracuse 27-21. to So it will be 4-3 Notre Dame at 6-1 Syracuse. Notre Dame opened as a two-point favorite at DraftKings Sportsbook, and the odds have totally flipped as now Syracuse is a three-point favorite, which actually seems more realistic. I was a little stunned that Notre Dame was a two-point favorite, but sometimes the Notre Dame name, just like Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, could tack on an extra point or two to the odds. Worst case, it's a pick but it would seem more realistic at this time that Syracuse is the favorite. But, of course, Vegas is trying to get equal betting on these particular games. And, obviously, people were jumping on Syracuse getting points. The money came in. And now, all of a sudden, the Irish are getting three points in their matchup against Syracuse. There was some major Indianapolis Colts news today. We'll get to that coming up. In our next segment, along with our Twitter question of the day, Tyler Horka is coming up at the bottom of the sour. Actually, he'll be in the next segment. The Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We'll talk about Drew Pine's struggles throwing the football once again. It would help if one of his main targets held onto the football. And also we'll wrap up the program with a little sports wagering conversation on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Well, my first pitch to you tonight. I know I'm going to be in the minority here. But that was... A very disappointing victory for Notre Dame on Saturday from my standpoint. The execution level in the ball game is not at the level of the talent of this football team. Something still is missing. There were parts of this game that were really, really good. Then you look at some other parts of the game and you just don't understand how this team is not better than four and three. Or how they allow UNLV to put up 21 points somehow with their best two offensive players not playing in the ball game. First things first, Notre Dame did what they were asked to do, win the football game. They picked up a home win over UNLV, 44 to 21. So they have leveled their home record to two and two, and they are now four and three on the season. Should they be 6 and 1? Absolutely. Beating Marshall and Stanford, that's not reality. They're 4 and 3. 
As I mentioned, they defeated a Rebels team without their best two offensive players, a star quarterback and running back, which left the offense. That has not been good the last couple of weeks to try to get some things done at Notre Dame Stadium. This offense had scored 14 total points the last two weeks. They scored seven against San Jose State and seven against Air Force. But Saturday, they put up 21 on Notre Dame with the help of a 74-yard and 47-yard runs. We'll get to that in detail in a little bit. But how about the day Isaiah Foskey had? That was a young man putting on tape a first-round type performance. His tape for the year is not first-round worthy, that ball game, Isaiah Foskey was a dominant figure in this 23-point win. As far as the records go back, 1937, he is the first Notre Dame football player to block two punts in the same game. He did it in the same quarter on back-to-back possessions. So think about what this Irish offense was handed by the special teams unit. You had the two block punts plus, let's don't forget, a catch interference call against UNLV gave Notre Dame great field position. The catch interference call in the punt gave Notre Dame the football at the UNLV 43. Plus territory, short field. Result, 43-yard field goal by Blake Rupi. The first of the two block punts. The Irish started at the UNLV 20-yard line. This time, they cashed in with a touchdown. The 20-yard touchdown pass Drew Pine to Michael Mayer to make it 17-7 fighting Irish in the opening quarter. Then another Foskey blocked punt. Gave Notre Dame the football at the UNLV 14, and they could only put up three points a 27-yard field goal. Now, it's a good thing on three straight possessions in plus territory, you scored all three times. But when you flip the coin, it's walking away with 13 points, what you're looking for when you start at the UNLV 43, the UNLV 20, and the UNLV 14. against a very poor defense. You know, beyond winning this game as almost a four-touchdown favorite, not covering, the Irish reaffirmed this is still an underachieving football team that this coaching staff is not getting the most out of. And we continue to see inconsistencies on offense, in particular in the red zone. Red zone failures have been common around these parts. Marcus Freeman addressed those woes. And here's what the head coach of the Fighting Irish had to say. Well, it's frustrating because it isn't like we do a whole bunch of different things on a red zone. And uh, as you look at the UNLV game, a couple self-inflicted wounds in terms of um, mistakes that we shouldn't make, you know, and so... I would hope it's not confusion, but 
you got to look at yourself as a coach and, and look at the players and say, okay, where's the, the, the miscommunication coming from? This is what we want you to do, and you're not doing it. So is it a teaching error? Is it an understanding execution error? And so um, we got to make sure that we know exactly what we want to do. If they beat us doing what we want to do, then, then you know, take your hat off to them. But we can't have unforced errors in the red zone, especially with the simplicity that we, we really pride ourselves in and what we do in the red zone. All right. So I think very important info at the start of that quote. Well, I, it's frustrating because it, it isn't like we do a whole bunch of different things on a red zone. They don't do a whole lot in the red zone, but yet there are unforced errors, self-inflicted errors. From time to time, a call that doesn't make sense. This is not the first year we've had these conversations about the red zone. And against UNLV, they got into the red zone eight times, scored six times, five touchdowns and a field goal. So, some moderate success against not a great defense. But you just talk about plus territory championship teams score touchdowns in those moments and right now Notre Dame will get a touchdown but then they settle for a lot of field goals you know to the team's credit statistically Notre Dame was one of the worst offenses in the country in the first quarter this year they put up 23 points that is a huge step in the right direction can they do it against Syracuse and Clemson can they put up 10 points 13 points against Clemson and Syracuse. I guess we'll find out over the next two games. But then you dig a little deeper. You kick three field goals in the first quarter to help you to get to 23. If you want to, as a fan, see this football program go where you want them to go, the field goals have to stop. They have to be turned in to touchdowns. Scheme, execution, recruiting whatever it takes this field goal thing gets a little old but again there is a positive there the team got off to a fast start which has been a problem so far this year fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman on that good start you know the ability to to give yourself to put yourself in position to win is is really what we focus on and that's the plan the prep preparation but at the end of the day, we're evaluated off of the result. We're evaluated off of did we win or did we lose, and, and um, we were able to. We needed this. We needed this for um, our mentality, but our confidence to be able to just go. And, and we are a good team. I've said that before. We're a good football team that um, doesn't always play that way. And it's our job as coaches to get our team to perform this way. And, and what they show today is um, when they do a good job. And versus a good team, I thought UNLV was a really good team. I told Coach Royal. Before and after the game, he's got a good football team. And, um, you know, they didn't quit. And I think it was 23-7, to seven, maybe at the end of the first quarter. And don't expect that team lay down. They battled back. And so much respect to them. Um, but it was a huge uh, win for our program. Word salads don't win football games, don't lose football games. But as an Irish fan, do you want your head coach saying beating UNLV is, quote, a huge win for our program, end quote? This comes one week after Freeman stepped in front of the team and said they needed to lose to Stanford to get better. So what are the goals for the rest of the season for this football team? I'll speak for myself. 
first and foremost, health for this football team in particular. Michael Mayer and Isaiah Foskey, two guys with big NFL futures, including some special days coming up on day one and probably day two of the NFL draft for these two guys. If they continue to play, I hope they have fun. I hope they go out there and play with their teammates, which they enjoy to do, and I hope they stay healthy. I think you still, going into next year, find answers to be better in the red zone. I feel like we have talked about this for a long time. Wash, rinse, dry, repeat. But you got to figure out how to be more effective in the red zone. And for me, another thing that stands out on goals for the rest of the year, you got to figure out if your 2023 starting quarterback is on this roster. Now, we had this in a poll question last week, gave you four options. How have you restructured your goals for the season? Some of the options were B500, go to a bowl game, beat Clemson or USC. And the fourth choice was what I just mentioned, figure out if your 2023 starting quarterback is on the roster. That got last. That's near the top of the list for me. Now, for the players and the coaches in that locker room, they are striving to run the table and be a 9-3 and football team. From where they were after Marshall and Stanford, that would be a tremendous accomplishment. I'm not in that locker room. I'm not invested like they are. I'm an outsider like you all are. And we all have different thoughts on what we hope happens to this team. And if you're going to be a great team in 2023, quarterback play has to be better. The coaching leadership decided they didn't need a quarterback from the outside before this season. Seems like a big decision right now. And you're going to have a similar decision to make after this season. This is still going to be a really good roster next year. A roster, just like this year, ready to win. But do you have the quarterback on the roster right now to get you to where you want to go? It is not fair to finalize our thoughts on Tyler Buckner. We saw him at times last year as that change-up quarterback, and we saw him start two games this year. He was a game manager in that Ohio State game and not sure he had the best plan in the first half of his second start against Marshall. He had to deal with that. That's all we have to go on. That's not enough. We'll have a good feel for Drew Pine as he continues to start games. And I'm sure you all have changed your thoughts a little bit over the last couple of games when he's become a 50% passer. But figuring out that quarterback for next year is something that is ongoing right now, whether it is front burner or not for the coaching staff. In a roundabout way, they're getting things on tape right now that will help them make that decision. And it's a big one. Last year's decision was a game changer. And maybe partially the reason why this team is 4-3. and three. Who knows, maybe they brought somebody in from the outside and it was a total disaster. Just because they didn't get a quarterback doesn't mean that guy was going to automatically come in and throw 35 touchdown passes. Maybe, maybe not. But to have another option seems 
large at this time. And that's why after the USC game, we really go on the clock to see what's going to happen next year at the quarterback position. Because after, I think it's the conference championship games, the transfer portal opens, and we'll start to see what quarterbacks go into the portal looking for a new home. To me, this is a valuable, valuable position. You come in as a veteran quarterback, you see what's here, you feel like you have a fighter's chance to be the starter on a really good football team next year. That seems pretty enticing. All right, the Irish are 4-3. and three. They beat UNLV 44-21, but still lots and lots to clean up on a very talented football team. We'll talk some Notre Dame football with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Tyler Horka coming up in a moment. Budweiser's weekday sports speed on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel one by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. Five fire rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host. Darren Pritchett. We continue our Notre Dame football recap of the win over UNLV 44-21. I'm Darren Pritchett now joined by my co-host for Game Day Sports Beat powered by Michelob Ultra. We'll have the breakfast edition coming up this Saturday as Tyler and I will be on the air from 9 until 11 from our WSBT studios with Notre Dame playing at Syracuse at noon, Tyler Horka joins me here on WSBT Radio. Well, the Irish got what they wanted, a fast start, which was good news, as they put up 23 points in the first quarter. They put up 44. They give up 21, which is, I think, a little disappointing, despite only giving up 299 yards and like 120 of that on two plays. So I'll just kind of leave this question very generically to you, Tyler. They won 44-21. Would you call this a satisfying victory as you look at how this football team played against UNLV? Nope, I would not. And if you ask my coworker Patrick Engel, who comes on your program from time to time, he wrote the same thing at blueandgold.com, his postgame column. I think it was titled why Notre Dame's victory over UNLV left a little bit to be desired or maybe in some people's eyes, a lot to be desired because, like you said, you just said two of the two of the plays accounted for what 120 yards, maybe more of those 299 yards that UNLV had. Where have we heard that before? Go back to the North Carolina game, where about 150 of their yards came on two plays, and both of those were touchdowns. And the two plays in question against UNLV set up two of UNLV's three touchdowns. So. The fact that you're seeing things resurface from week to week, that's the definition of not getting stuff done throughout a week that you can build upon and progress with and get better at because that's what a college football season is all about. You've got 12, 13 weeks to get better from week to week, and we're seeing some of the same things problematic-wise with Notre Dame week after week. And even with the offense, 
your quarterback completed 50% of his passes again. That's not going to get it done. When you're playing teams like Syracuse, teams like Clemson, the next two games for Notre Dame are against two of the top 15 defenses in the country. Clemson's might not be there yards-wise because they had a bad day against Wake Forest. And, uh, it just hasn't been as good as you think it would be when you, when you think of Clemson and all the talent that they have. But that's a really good defense over there. If you watch that Syracuse-Clemson game, then you know it. So this was UNLV, a team that does not have nearly as much talent across the board as uh, ACC powerhouses of 2022. Syracuse and Clemson are a couple of those. So I would not consider it a, a big win, no matter what Marcus Freeman says in the postgame press conference or what he said today on Monday. Yeah, it's a win, and Notre Dame needs those desperately this season. It was a 500 football team going to that game, but uh, another thing that you see resurfaces, Audric Estime's fumble, and Notre Dame had to settle for a bunch of field goals again. Blake Groupie attempted four of them. He missed one of those. It was a pretty lengthy one. But you see Notre Dame get into the plus side of the field and just kind of stall out. And some of that is Drew Pine not making very good passes, or, or maybe some of that is scheme. And, and those are just all things that are not going to work against, against teams, which if you read blueandgold.com yesterday, and obviously some people probably knew this beforehand, three of Notre Dame's final five games are coming against teams that are currently ranked in the top 16 of both the coaches mm. poll and the AP poll. This is not going to be a cakewalk. Marcus Freeman said it today. If we don't play well, we're not going to win some of these games. So it's, uh, it's time to figure out if Notre Dame can actually get better and improve at some of those problem areas. Drew Pine against UNLV, 14 of 28 for 205, two touchdowns, another pass batted at the line of scrimmage that was intercepted. He was at 72% completion percentage going into Stanford. Now he's at 63.7%. Let me read you a stat. I want to give credit to Greg Fleming of Irish Sports Daily. The last two weeks when Drew Pine is at a clean pocket, Tyler, he is 45 of 28. I'm sorry, 25 for 48 for 52%, 340 yards, Three touchdowns, one interception. That is seven yards per attempt, which is considered average or maybe even a tad bit toward mediocre. So when you see the job that the offensive line has done creating a pocket for him, and I know Lorenzo Styles dropped another pass. That's not on Drew Pine. But I also saw Braden Lindsey running free in the secondary and was missed for a second straight week for a touchdown. So seeing how... Pine is performing with a clean pocket. How much of a concern is that for you? It's definitely concerning, but you've seen that he can do it when maybe even the offensive line wasn't even playing as, as well as it is now against BYU. I would say he had a pretty good game, albeit he had one of those batted interceptions that you mentioned. North Carolina, he definitely had a good game. So it's concerning, definitely, because 50% isn't good for anybody. I don't care if you're 5'11 or 6'5. You need to be completing more than 50% of your passes. But it's just one of those things where Marcus Freeman even said it today, and he said some things that we should probably be questioning over the last couple of weeks. But I agreed with this when he said it. It's just kind of a, a regression to the mean because – Drew Pine wasn't ever going to be a super prolific, lighted up, holy cow, this guy's a Heisman Trophy contender out of nowhere type of guy. He came in, and all Notre Dame fans could hope for were serviceable outings. Now, he gave you more than that against 
North Carolina, and, and I would argue against BYU as well. So maybe the bar was set a little too high, and he had a little bit of his own hand in doing that. But look, this is this is not even close to that bar, and I would say it's below it. So if the bar is, hey, man, go out there, make the right decisions, don't throw interceptions, move the chains on, on third and intermediate with accurate passes, then he hasn't been doing that. So, again, it's not going to work against teams like Syracuse and Clemson where you have a guy that – I mean, how many times did Notre Dame – and they end up getting – I think it was nine of 17 third down conversions. But early in that game, I think they were closer to one fourth in terms of how many of those they were converting. They were somewhere around three for 12 before they rattled off five or six in a row. So if you have a guy quarterback in your team and you're facing third and six and you know, well, he's probably going to force it to one guy here right now. And the defense knows that. So they're going to bracket him and put two or three guys on him and, our offense is coming off the field. If that is the way you're looking at it, which right now with Notre Dame, that's kind of the case, then you're not in a really good spot. So to, to circle back around and answer your, your question, it's very concerning if that's kind of where Notre Dame is offensively right now. He's Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Three consecutive possessions in the first quarter. There was a catch interference call against UNLV and then back-to-back block punts by Isaiah Foskey. Notre Dame had the football at the UNLV 43, UNLV 20, UNLV 14. I'll let people decide if 13 points is what you should be looking for in that sequence with a short field, but it was a touchdown and two field goals, including getting the ball at the UNLV 14. They could only muster a 27-yard field goal. It seems like we've talked for the last couple of years about red zone offensive issues. Marcus Freeman was asked about some of those red zone offensive woes. Well, it's frustrating because it isn't like we do a whole bunch of different things on a red zone. They don't do a whole lot of things in the red zone. So it sounds like, Tyler, they have simplified things down around the red zone, but yet the results are very inconsistent. I'm just going to throw a dart at the board. Do you think part of the problem is they just don't have an identity on offense to help them in that spot, or they're not able to run the football well enough when the opposition knows they're going to run the football? What do you see when you watch film of Notre Dame's offense in the red zone? Yeah, I think it's a whole lot of things, and I think that's why Notre Dame has tried to simplify it because they said, okay, if we could just try to do the same things over and over once we get down there, and if they work, then we're going to stick to those things. The problem is those things haven't worked, and I don't know if I totally agree with Marcus when he says we don't do a whole lot. I think Notre Dame's been down there, and enough things have gone wrong that we've seen a whole lot of things, but the one common thread is, all of those things don't really work. And you have to realize that football is a pretty – there's a fine line in a lot of these things. When you mention those three occurrences and only getting 13 points, I would say 17 points is, is really good in that situation. So that is just turning that one instance where you said they started on the 14-yard mm-hmm. line into a touchdown. If you score a touchdown there, okay, maybe you're going to settle for a field goal when you get set up on the plus side. It happens sometimes. For it to happen twice, all of a sudden you're turning that ratio in the other team's favor because 13 points sounds a whole lot worse than 17 points. So, I, and, and just to answer the question at large, 
yes, I think it is that Notre Dame doesn't really have a really solid offensive identity or structure or scheme, whatever you want to call it. They get down there and football's a mental game too. I, I think they honestly get in their own heads a little bit and they get on the field and they're thinking, oh man, our special teams just set us up and we need to score a touchdown here. Our defense gave us this great opportunity. We need to score a touchdown right here and they just don't do it. And whether that's because they have a backup turn starter at quarterback and maybe the confidence is low from that standpoint and this is not the same guy that we saw in Chapel Hill or in, in Las Vegas, I'm not sure. And then obviously running the football is huge too. You mentioned yeah. that. You can't get behind the sticks. If you're running into a wall and you're facing second and nine or even second and eight, you're like, oh, man, I'm not sure we're going to get these yards. And then what did I mention a little bit earlier? Notre Dame has had a ton of these third and four, third and five, third and six situations where, yeah, it's probably a little too lengthy to run. Well, the defense knows exactly what you're thinking when you line up the pass on third and six. The ball's going to number 87. And he catches a lot of a lot of footballs and he makes a lot of really good plays. But when the defense knows what's coming from that standpoint, it's just as easy as lining up and putting eight in the box and stopping the run. If you ask me, three guys versus one guy. I don't care if that one guy is Superman and Michael Mayer is pretty darn close. The the odds and the numbers are usually going to win out in those scenarios. Tyler, I know with you working at Blue and Gold Illustrated, you take the time to listen to Irish fans who comment on everything involving this football team. And for several weeks, there has been an outpouring of messages being posted about Tobias Merriweather, the freshman wide receiver. In the ball game against UNLV in the first quarter, you see him line up on the right side of the formation in the first quarter. His fellow wide receiver pushes him over to the opposite side of the field. You see Drew Pine waving him over there. After the play, Chancey Stuckey, I think, by my way of looking at the video, was upset at Merriweather, was shaking his head because it appears that Tobias lined up in the wrong spot. That's not the first time that's happened this year. That play makes me think of two things. Number one, why does this keep happening? What is Tobias not understanding about the way you line up in the different formations. And the second thing I think of, what can the coaching staff do? What have they have not done in order to get this through to him? Because that is the basics of becoming a wide receiver. Before you even take a step on the play where you might have to change your route, you can't even get lined up properly consistently. This is very, very frustrating knowing what this guy could do for this team. Yeah, absolutely, and I saw it the same way as you when I was sitting in the Notre Dame Stadium press box. I could see from across the way the the Notre Dame sideline is on the other side of the field from where we're sitting nine stories high. I didn't even need my binoculars to be like, (laughs) Nancy Stuckey is really mad at Tobias Merriweather, and everybody saw it in real time, too. Everybody saw that Tobias Merriweather was lined up on the wrong side of the field. I think it might have been Jaden Thomas that said, hey, you're supposed to be over there. And like you said, Drew Pine did it too. And then he goes over there, and the first thing that he does as soon as he gets set over there is Drew Pine puts him in motion because it's one of those fake jet sweeps where, thank God Notre Dame actually gave Braden Lindsay the ball on a couple of those and Lorenzo Styles the ball on a couple of those because how many times do we see it and, and nothing happens and it's really all for show and the defense doesn't even bite. That's a different discussion. As it relates to, to Tobias Merriweather, I'm not sure. He's out there for 23 snaps, and he gets one target, and it was in the end zone, and 
he was kind of open. If, if Drew Pine throws him a, a bit of a better ball, he might be able to make a play on it, given the athleticism that we talked about. But I, this might be a good question for Mike Singer, who you mentioned earlier. Did he play in such a simple offense in, in high school where these guys are lining up in one formation and maybe he was on the boundary every single time and it was basically, hey, Tobias, you know when they teach you football in middle school? Because I played football in middle school before I got into hockey and we had three route concepts. It was you're running a five-yard <laughs> stop. And this is the very beginning. You're running a five-yard stop, you're running a slant, or you're running a fade, a go route. And then I'll, you know, we get into maybe some corners and some posts as, as we – get into the seventh and eighth grade and stuff, but was Tobias Merriweather's offense that simple where it was like, hey, you're taller than everyone, you're faster than everyone, we're just going to throw you the ball up top, and if you make a play, awesome, we're going to win a football game. If you don't, we're going to keep coming to you. I don't know. Maybe it was like that because it is very apparent that Notre Dame does not even have that complex of an offensive mm-hmm. system. If you watch the route trees, there's not a whole lot going on there. I mean, this is not some of those offenses that you see that are putting up 40, 50 points a game and he just can't get a hang of it so uh, I, I wish I had an answer for you and I, I guarantee you Tommy Reese wishes he had an answer Chancey Stocky losing his mind at, at Merriweather on the sideline he wishes he had an answer and if Marcus Freeman had an answer Tamiris Merriweather would probably have five or six touchdowns this season I wonder if cross training all three positions maybe was too much overload of information yeah. I don't know. I'm taking a guess just like everybody else. So let me get to the defense real quick. 299 yards allowed. They gave up a 74-yard run and a 47-yard run. And this UNLV team was out without their two best offensive players that had put up a total of 14 points the last two weeks against San Jose State and Air Force. They walk away with 21 against the Irish. So... How do we decide if this was a successful day or not for the Irish defense? Well, I'll tell you right away that I do not think it was a successful day. When you weigh all those circumstances, Doug Brumfield is an absolute athlete at quarterback. I was standing on the field when UNLV was walking up the tunnel after the game, and I was like, whoa, that guy looks like a difference maker athlete, and he is. He was having an awesome season until he sustained that concussion a couple weeks ago. And Aiden Robbins is uh, for all intent and purposes, he went to Louisville out, out of high school and never really got going there in two years that he was there. But he's a power five type of athlete. Uh, Marcus Freeman could not get him to go to Cincinnati when he was down there, recruited him as a linebacker. You're missing those two guys, by far their two best offensive weapons. And like you said, scored seven points against Air Force, scored seven points against San Jose State. They come into Notre Dame Stadium, rack up 300 yards, and scored 21 points. There were tackling miscues again. There were the passing defense was like we've seen from Notre Dame all season. They kept guys in front of them. Uh, they didn't really let anyone break loose in the passing game. But I mean, this is why Notre Dame only has is one of the worst teams in terms of passes broken up in the country. They went into that game ranked number 130 out of 131 teams in the FBS. They're just not making plays on the football. And, again, you, you don't see any turnovers in this game. And you lose the turnover battle to a really bad UNLV team. So, from a defensive perspective, I, I would not call this a win. And my report card after the game, if you read that, you might say, whoa, how does Notre Dame have all these Cs? And I don't, even, I don't know if I put a D on there. But they weren't good grades. And that's just because it wasn't a great performance. It, it wasn't a shutdown 
performance from the Notre Dame defense like a lot of people mm. would have hoped for. Finally, Tyler, as we start to wind down this conversation, I want to bring up Syracuse for a second because they're a 6-1 and football team. They had Clemson down in Death Valley on Saturday before losing 27-21. Their outstanding running back, Sean Tucker, only got five carries in the game, and that was a topic of conversation after the game. So fair to say he's going to be well-rested for this game against <laughs> Notre Dame. But I also want to bring up Garrett Schrader, the quarterback who's completing 70% of his throws this year. He is also a team in rushing yards with 371, tied for the team lead and rushing touchdowns with six. You have a little familiarity with Garrett Schrader, so give Irish fans a small sample of what they might expect with Schrader at quarterback for Syracuse. Yeah, I covered him for a couple seasons while I was covering Mississippi State, and he started a few games as a true freshman uh, before kind of losing the job to Will Rogers, who's setting all kinds of records now. But that guy is a gamer. And go look at some of his highlights, not only at Syracuse, but, I mean, he was making highlights at Mississippi State, mainly as a runner down there. But the thing that he has done at Syracuse has become a very efficient passer. He doesn't turn the ball over. He completes a lot of passes, as you mentioned. So when you combine with the strides he's made as a passer with everything he can do as a runner, it's pretty scary for Notre Dame because I've seen enough running quarterbacks do damage against Notre Dame and some guys that aren't even supposed to run, like Drake May this year, Jack Plummer this year, they did a little bit of damage with their legs against the Notre Dame defense. So when you have a guy that that wants to run and likes to run and and can do it at a really high level, but he can also drop back and beat you with uh, not necessarily prolific passing, but really accurate passing and he can make your day really long defensively, it's going to be a really tough challenge. I think this is uh, – Jaron Hall wasn't really at his best, I would say, in that BYU game. So this is really the toughest test quarterback-wise that Notre Dame has faced going all the way back to Drake May. So they're going to really have to kind of pony up and, and go after this guy because he's a pretty good one. All right. Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, is still reviewing the UNLV game with your eyes set, of course, on the matchup with Syracuse this week. What do you guys have going on right now at blueandgold.com? Yeah, right when you called, I was working on uh, an analysis piece looking at every single Drew Pine incomplete pass. So Hmm. there were 14 of those, just as there were 14 completed passes. So Go there tomorrow morning to blueandgold.com if you want to see what happened and why Drew Pine only completed 50% of his passes. There will also be a Syracuse preview up in the morning with a little more detail on Schrader and all of those other guys that Syracuse has in a 6-1 and football team. So the weeks are rolling, man, and there's only five of these left, which is incredible and, and crazy to think about. But you can sign up at blueandgold.com for $10 for an entire year of premium access that deal runs through the beginning of the 2023 football season. So I know you have a lot of time to get it, but I don't understand why you wouldn't get it right now if you're a Notre Dame fan because I've said it before, I'll say it again, we cover this Notre Dame football team unlike anybody else on the beat, and it's the best place to go if you're looking for fighting Irish football news and and notes and analysis. I appreciate you doing this. Always great to talk to you, and I look forward to, I guess, an early morning edition 
of Game Day Sports Beat on Saturday from 9 to 11 to break it all down, Notre Dame and Syracuse. And I guess there's no other way to say it, but I guess continue to enjoy watching the incomplete passes for your story. Is that, is that coming out the wrong way? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not the most enjoyable one I've ever done. But, hey, it, it's what the people want. They want to yeah. know why everything's going the way it is. So. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you Saturday. Yep, see you Saturday, Darren. All right, thank you. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Always enjoy my visits with Tyler. 5.55 is our time. Sports Center update coming up in a couple of moments on WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Well, the Irish picking up a home win over UNLV, not the only high-end football story in the state of Indiana today. As the Indianapolis Colts broke some news today that I think took a lot of Colts fans off guard. First off, their starting quarterback, Matt Ryan, suffered a grade two sprain of his right shoulder in yesterday's loss in Nashville to the Tennessee Titans, 19-10. Whether he was injured or not, head coach Frank Reich announced today that Sam Ellinger will start the rest of the season. So if Ryan was healthy, this decision is still happening. So the Colts right now are 3-3-1 three, three and one in the AFC South. They trail only the Tennessee Titans who are 4-2. and two. Now, the Titans have won five straight against the Colts, including yesterday's nine-point win in Nashville. But in that weak AFC South, there is still hope that the Colts can win that division. But they're going to try to win it with Sam Ellinger as the team's starting quarterback. On the NFL Network, Ian Rappaport, Tom Pellicero, they were asked about this particular news by Andrew Siciliano. Again, this is courtesy of the NFL Network this afternoon. Major news surrounding the Indianapolis Colts. Also, Frank Reich, quote, the move right now is for Sam to be the starter for the rest of the season. Ian, so shoulder injury is just one small part of this story. It is one small part of this story. It's a part of it. Matt Ryan not being there to be the backup is a thing. But the major thing is the Indianapolis Colts now have a new starting quarterback, Sam Ellinger, who I know has been intriguing to various people around the league, someone that I know other GMs have been kind of watching, monitoring. I wonder if that guy would be available. Maybe we could trade for him under the right circumstances just because he's so talented. He is now the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. And just a couple days ago, Tom, I talked to Colts owner Jim Irsay, who told me, among other things, that Matt Ryan is a steely-eyed missile man. I believe that was the quote. I might have messed it up, but I believe that was it. He also told me that he was as good a leader as he's seen since Peyton Manning. Regardless, Matt Ryan just simply not getting it done in the field. The Colts offense has been a mess in general. Clearly, Ryan struggling to make some of the throws. And so now, Sam Ellinger, despite the fact that Matt Ryan is fully guaranteed on his contract for the next two years, is now the starter. 
this is a move that the Colts never could have contemplated when they acquired Matt Ryan for a third round pick from the Atlanta Falcons back in the spring. I talked to Frank Reich a couple weeks later and he said he had gone through all the tape and thought Matt Ryan could make all the throws. Obviously they were looking for stability in terms of the leadership of the operation as well. Matt Ryan checked all those boxes. But something that jumped out, especially in recent weeks here, was Matt Ryan, just in terms of having the arm to make all the throws, seemed to be struggling. And that was just one factor in why this Colts offense was repeatedly struggling to score. With Sam Elliott, it's a guy who they liked. They drafted him out of Texas because of his toughness, because of his makeup. Even though he doesn't necessarily have the physical traits of some other quarterbacks, he's not the tallest guy, he doesn't have the big arm, but he has a knack. For making things happen. So you're trying to jumpstart a team that is supposed to go through the running game with Jonathan Taylor, the offensive line, which has not played well enough through the course of the season and has had some moving parts, and a defense that has not had its leader um, in Shaq Leonard for all but a couple of quarters so far this season. For Matt Ryan, as Ian mentioned, they're paying him about $24 million this season, Andrew, $12 million of his base salary for next season, also guaranteed. So they're committed financially to Matt Ryan, but shoulder separation or no shoulder separation, Frank Reich says this was going to be the move. This yeah. is a sea change right now in Indianapolis. They hope for the better. Colts went through a lot of quarterbacks since Andrew Luck abruptly retired a few years ago, and it looks like they've moved on from Matt Ryan. Reading some of the tweets from Colts reporters, they feel like the owner, Jim Ursay is a big reason why this change took place. Matt Ryan this year completing 68% of his passes, nine touchdowns, but here are three numbers that are not good. He leads the NFL in interceptions with nine. He leads the NFL in fumbles with 11. Now, this is not all on him. This is partial offensive line, but he is tied for the NFL lead in sacks taken this year with 20 Sam Ellinger didn't get that many snaps. I think it was around 45, 48, 50 in the preseason. Well, he is the guy now for the Colts, and his first game is Sunday at 425 at Lucas Oil Stadium as he will face the Washington Commanders. The Colts' old quarterback, Carson Wentz, was traded to Washington, but he's out with a hand, hand injury. So a couple of backup quarterbacks will be starting for the Colts and the Commanders. I guess we can say a former backup quarterback in Indy, Sam Ellinger, the starting quarterback for the Colts for the rest of the year. You can hear Colts football on our sister station, 96-1 the ton, Sunday at 425, Colts hosting Washington. 612 is our time. We'll talk Notre Dame quarterback play coming up next as Sportsbeat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. Welcome back to the program, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. 617 is our time. 
Let's spend a little time talking about the Notre Dame quarterback position. Drew Pine entered the Stanford game two weeks ago, completing 72% of his throws. Saturday against UNLV, 14 of 28 for 205 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. The last two weeks has lowered his completion percentage from 72% to 63.7%. He has thrown now for 1,077 yards, 12 touchdown passes with three interceptions. Second consecutive week, Pine has been hovering right around the 50% mark in completion percentage. After the ball game on Saturday, Marcus Freeman discussed his starting quarterback, Drew Pine. Yeah, a big thing with Drew was just continue to be confident, you know, and that the, the I kept telling him, like, the ebbs and flow of a season happen within a game. It's, it's okay. You know what I mean? You have to get your mind right, get back to the sideline, and make sure you understand the next opportunity you get. Let's go. Let's go. There's a reason why you're our starting quarterback. We all believe in you. And so that's my biggest thing with him was, hey, man, be confident. You know, if we throw the ball, let's go. Put the ball where it needs to be. And it's never going to be perfect. But um, as long as you continue to bounce play, one play, one life, we talk about that often. And uh, it was good to see him do that. He was confident. And I told him the biggest thing, get those guys up. Let's go. We're confident offense and let's go execute. A lot of talk about confidence, but what happened to execution? 14 of 28. That's not executing at a high level, especially when you realize he was working with a clean pocket almost the entire day. Again, I give credit to Irish Sports Daily's Greg Fleming, who on Twitter broke it all down. On straight dropbacks in this game, Pine was 10 of 23 for 134 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. In the play-action game, he was 4 of 5, 71 yards, highly effective. Working with a clean pocket, in the ball game against UNLV. Pine was 14 of 26, barely over 50%. Again, with a clean pocket, 205 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. So now the last two weeks, when you break it down to when the pocket was clean for Pine to deliver the football, which means he did not have anyone right on top of him, pressuring him, affecting his throw. Last two weeks in those situations, 25 of 48 for 52%. On the 48 pass attempts, only 340 passing yards. That's about seven yards per attempt. Three touchdown passes and one interception. That's the concern. It's not like he is under siege like Matt Ryan is with the Colts. It's not like he is running for his life at all times. Now he ran out of the pocket. Almost scored a touchdown and took that ferocious hit at the goal line. So he is able to improvise, but you have to balance improv and staying on the field considering the quarterback depth that the Fighting Irish have right now. But the clean pocket number is alarming. That's a red flag. It's not like he's got that Clemson defensive line yet chasing after him. This was UNLV and before that Stanford. Two teams you would not expect to put a whole lot of pressure on the Irish quarterback considering their talent plus what the Irish have in front of Drew Pine. So my colleague Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated asked Marcus today 
when you sit down and watch film with offensive coordinator and quarterback coach Tommy Reese, what do you guys see on film with Drew Pine against UNLV or maybe over the last two weeks? Here's what Marcus had to say earlier today. You know, I think some can be decision-making. Um, every pass play has a progression, you know, and, and sometimes you come off of your progression too fast. Sometimes, you know, I don't – it's very few times I see him going incorrectly on, through his progression, but sometimes he comes off the progression or he stays on a progression too long. Um, you know, the parts of that is is we got to help him. You know, we got to protect him. We got to make sure that if he throws a ball that's catchable, we got to catch it. Um, all those things are going to help him have confidence. We got to call plays that help him have easy completions and success, like we started uh, the game off with. And so, um, man, playing a quarterback isn't, again, I know some guys may, might make it look effortlessly, but it's really difficult. And, uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot of people on a football team and, and a coaching staff to help a quarterback really have success. Um, and so, listen, Drew Pine, is he's a warrior. He's done a really good job. Um, he takes a lot of heat, and he gets a lot of praise, right? That comes with the position. I've said it before. When a quarterback, when things go well, quarterback's going to get a lot of praise. When things don't go so well, quarterback's going to take a lot of heat. Same thing with head coach. That's part of it. That's part of the position that he's been thrust into. And so um, – but he, he, the one thing that he has that is, is special is his want to, his want to improve, his want to, to have success, the confidence that he does have outwardly. I think inwardly we all have to have those, those talks with ourselves to make sure that our confidence is where it needs to be. But, I mean, it's the, the want to improve. Drew Pine has that, and uh, that's why I know he'll continue to have success. He will. Offensive line, pass protection, holding up pretty well right now. For Drew Pine, would you like to see a little more consistency catching the football from Lorenzo Styles? Absolutely. I think many of us covering the team, and I'm sure many of you out there that followed this team felt like that Styles was going to be this team's number one wide receiver, not number one target. That was going to be Michael Mayer. But Styles, after the way he ended last year, was trending in such a positive direction, highlighted by that Fiesta Bowl game with eight catches and a touchdown. I don't know if we all believe in the sophomore jinx or not, but we're seeing a guy right now that I think at times is fighting the football. The crossing route in the UNLV game in the first half, beautifully thrown by Drew Pine. The defender was a step behind Styles. And the ball was thrown perfectly, and Styles couldn't make the catch. We've seen that a couple of times recently. So when you look at Drew Pine's number, 14 of 28 against UNLV, now 63% of the season is everything on Drew Pine. Of course not. Marcus talked about that. It takes the entire team doing their jobs in order to give Pine a chance to succeed. I think the offensive line is doing a nice job. The running game is there. And you would hope you could take advantage of things in the passing game. Play action, four out of five, 71 yards. You check the box there. There has to be better catching of the football. But again, Pine was off the mark on throws 
in this game. It looked like Lindsey, from my vantage point, had a touchdown in the secondary that, unfortunately, Drew did not see. And, and that's going to happen, but there have been some inconsistencies and in missing open receivers. I know Michael Mayer is going to be the target. He was targeted 12 of the 28 passes in this ball game against UNLV. And, my gosh, the catch he made over the middle I mean, that was a highlight real catch, as good of a catch as you will see on Saturday or Sunday in the game of football. You can always rely on him. But, again, there needs to be that more consistency all around in the passing game, and it just continues to elude this football team. Third time in four games they've rushed for 200 yards. You would think you'd have a, a better opportunity to make bigger plays in the passing game. Still a work in progress for this Fighting Irish football team. And now they'll go up against the Syracuse Orange, who forced three turnovers against Clemson. And again, they almost upset the Tigers in Death Valley on Saturday and forced a quarterback change. It got so bad for Clemson. All right, 626 is our time. We'll continue on with Sports Beat in a couple of moments on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Today's My Five. We hand out five game balls for the Notre Dame 44-21 victory over the running Rebels of UNLV on Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. You can give this guy a game ball each and every week. But the All-American tight end, Michael Mayer, highlight reel day, targeted 12 times, six catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. I hate to repeat myself, but that catch over the middle. Defender draped all over over him, one-handed catch. Just absolutely spectacular. And if he walks away with the Mackey Award given to the nation's best tight end, that will be front and center in the highlight reel. And also, when he's taken in the first round of the NFL draft, that catch also will be front and center. Pretty good way of showing the team that drafts him what they're getting in Michael Mayer. Four! Another game ball. Normally don't like to give one to kickers, but in this spot, Blake Groupie, three first-quarter field goals to help Notre Dame get off to a fast start offensively, which has been a struggle all season. 23 points in the first quarter. Yes, many of you may say, well, it's a shame he had to kick three field goals, which is a fair conversation, which we had earlier in the show. But he ended up making three out of four field goals on the day, but they needed a fast start, had not had one all year. They got it, and Groupie was a big part of that, kicking the three field goals. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. Game ball number three goes to sophomore running back Logan Diggs. I know Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated, and I had another one of these three-headed running back monster conversations on game day on Saturday. Neither one of us are a fan of playing three guys. Rhythm is a big part of being a running back. You can ask running backs, although when they're currently on the team, they'll deflect it, but you get them away from a microphone, they'll all say, yeah, you get into a better rhythm when you get the ball consistently. Well, Audric Estime took himself out of consideration when he fumbled for the third time in four games, didn't get another chance. Chris Tyree had 10 rushes, but this became the Logan Diggs show on Saturday. 
28 carries, 130 yards. That is a one-headed monster. Diggs got into a good rhythm, averaging a little under five yards per carry. Estime is going to have to re-earn the trust of the coaching staff. Putting the football on the ground is unacceptable. I think Chris Tyree, no matter who the number one guy is, is kind of that number two guy at this particular time. On one hand, it's a shame you have to have one guy carry it 28 times against UNLV. Number two, not going to complain. I'd like to see one guy get a majority of the carries, and right now maybe Logan Diggs will turn out to be that guy. We'll see what happens this week up at Syracuse. Number two. Game ball number two. I'm going to give it to special teams coach Brian Mason on a week in which the team did not have to worry about school, got some extra work in, film work. Isaiah Foskey told us in the post game, and Mason as special teams coach watched Foskey block two punts. They made three out of four field goals. The punting game was at 43.5, and punt returns were okay. Six punt returns for 67 yards, which I think we can give Brian Mason credit, has eliminated fair catch you being mentioned with Notre Dame. Good job by the punt return unit, picking up 10 yards per return against UNLV. Number one. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know who number one is. It has to be edge rusher Isaiah Foskey, who put on a show. He had five tackles in the ball game. Okay, he had a quarterback curry. Now to the good stuff. Three sacks in the ball game, and also two block punts on back-to-back possessions in the first quarter to set up the offense in plus territory. Stats go back to 1937. Notre Dame says it is the first time a player has blocked two punts in a game. Only player to do it in Notre Dame history is Isaiah Foskey. How about that? Great work by Foskey. Put some good stuff on his draft tape against UNLV. Now let's see how the Irish handle Schrader, Tucker, and that Syracuse offense Saturday at noon. All the action on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sports be brought to you by Budweiser, Pet Refuge, Mishawaka Education Foundation, South Bend Orthopedics, Tim Grouse State Farm Insurance, Midland Engineering Company, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, Legacy Heating and Air, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and Four Winds Casinos. Coming up next, we'll talk some sports wagering. Ahead of some Monday night football, Bears and Patriots on our sister station, Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. It's time to talk some sports wagering on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you on this Monday evening. Caveman Corner coming up at the top of the hour. Let's go back to Friday. And I came up with seven suggestions for the weekend. Six of those are in the books. One is for tonight's Bears-Patriots game. So let's recap what we have so far from last Friday. 
missed the first two. In fact, really wasn't even close on either of the selections. I thought Clemson would really put it to Syracuse at home, but Syracuse had the lead at halftime. Clemson coughing up the football, had to go to their backup quarterback. Clemson won, but they did not cover the 15 and a half. Clemson won 27-21. It looked like Texas was in really good shape to win at Oklahoma State, up seven, going to the fourth quarter, but the game flipped, and Oklahoma State beat Texas 41-34. I had Texas at minus six. Now let's get to the good news. Wisconsin and Purdue up in Madison. The Badgers have absolutely dominated this series over the last two decades. I took the Badgers on the money line against the Boilermakers at minus 130, and Wisconsin was able to cruise by the Boilermakers. Also on Friday, I took Alabama bounce-back moment in Tuscaloosa against a Mississippi State team that had not scored a touchdown at Alabama since 2014. I took Roll Tide minus 21. They won the game 30-6. to Mississippi State scored on offense a touchdown on the final play of the contest. I had one NFL selection from Friday's show. I took the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 to take out the Denver Broncos. In fact, when I made the choice on Friday, the Jets were plus one. I'll take the point. Didn't need it. Jets won a barn burner over Denver, 13-6. to So I'm 3-2 and two going into one more selection tonight. Bears under 16.5 total points against New England at minus 115. So 3-2 and two going into that final pick, 13-7 and seven for the week. And if I get it right tonight, after starting 7-20 and 20 in the month of October, I would even my record at 33 and 33. That's a pretty good fourth quarter comeback with one week to go. All right, so for the season right now, I'm 30 games over 500, 191, 161, and five. So we had that outstanding bets under 16 and a half total points from Friday's show. And here comes four fresh suggestions for this Monday night. We've got Monday night football, there's NBA, there's NHL. We're not going to have the World Series until Friday. How about the Philadelphia Phillies? Amazing run to get to the World Series where they will take on the Astros, who are there for the fourth time in the last six years. Quite a run deep down in the heart of Texas. So away we go with the four suggestions for this Monday night. We'll start with two Monday night suggestions, not counting the one I have for Friday's show. First up, Let's talk about Bears running back David Montgomery, arguably the most important piece right now for this Bears offense that has an inability to successfully and consistently throw the football. We all know about Patriots head coach Bill Belichick and what he loves to do defensively, take away what you do best and force you to beat him with other parts of the offense. Well, right now, running the football is what the Bears do best at this particular time. Sometimes their quarterback running on a pass play is a really good option. So based on the Belichick philosophy, I'm going to say David Montgomery goes under 15 and a half rushing yards tonight 
and I get that suggestion at minus 115. Because of the Patriots wanting to take away Montgomery, I'm going to say he gets a little more involved in the passing game tonight. I don't think they're going to want Justin Fields standing back in the pocket, seven-step drop, looking deep down the field. David Montgomery is a really good option in the passing game, so I'm going to say David will go over one-and-a-half catches at minus 140. So not a lot of juice there, but a good, solid suggestion. My third suggestion for tonight is from the National Basketball Association. The Grizzlies coming off a really tough ball game over the weekend. I think they have a bounce back moment after getting routed by the Mavericks. They take on the Brooklyn Nets tonight. And I'm going to say the Grizzlies at home laying one will beat the Nets. This is kind of the underdog pick at minus 105. And finally, Another selection from the NBA, but this time an individual prop. And it's going to be centered around Chicago Bulls point guard, Io DeSumo. DeSumo, in three games so far this year, as the team's starting point guard, three assists, two assists, and four assists. His over-under for assists tonight is at two and a half, which he has gone over in two of the three games. I'm going to bank on three of four. I will say Io DeSumo goes over two and a half assists in their matchup tonight at the United Center against the Boston Celtics. So the four suggestions for tonight, Bears running back David Montgomery under 50 and a half rushing yards at minus 115. Montgomery over one and a half catches at minus 140. Grizzlies minus one against the Nets at minus 105. And Bulls guard Io DeSumo over two and a half assists at minus 125. And my underdog pick for tonight, which has to be a plus number, at plus 400, let's go with Ramondre Stevenson, New England Patriot running back, scoring the first touchdown of tonight's ballgame. Stevenson, first touchdown score at plus 400. Those are my suggestions for We Going to Sizzler for this Monday night. We don't have the Monday night game on WSBT radio tonight because we have to protect our sister station, which has the Bears radio network on quality 94.3 FM. We'll wrap up Sports Beat next. You're listening to Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat on WSBT. In 1922, we began broadcasting under the call letters WGAZ, the world's greatest automotive zone. Now, we're your home for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the best sports talk in South Bend. Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Celebrating 100 years of broadcasting in 2022. Well, we've got a busy week coming up on our Midwest family South Bend stations. Let's remind you that again tonight, Monday Night Football, only on Quality Rock 94.3 FM. That is the home of the Chicago Bears radio network. It is the Bears and the New England Patriots from Foxborough tonight. You can hear Jeff Joniak's call on 94.3 FM. Also, let's remind you that Mishawaka Caveman Football returns to 96-1 the ton this Friday night, 6.45 pregame, 7 o'clock opening kick from Steel Stadium as Mishawaka plays a sectional semifinal against the South Bend Adams Eagles. Also on Friday, 
The Notre Dame hockey team will take the ice. Notre Dame is ranked number 12 in the country this week. They will take on the Michigan State Spartans in their first Big Ten Conference game of the year. 3-2-1 Notre Dame will face Michigan State Friday night at 7.30 on Quality Rock 94.3 FM. The pregame at 7.15. Irish and Spartans Saturday night at 6 o'clock. In terms of Notre Dame football, in case you missed it, Notre Dame-Syracuse has a noon kickoff this Saturday right here on WSBT Radio. That means our pregame coverage starts at 6 a.m. with the Marcus Freeman Radio Show. Then it is game day presented by Legacy Heating and Air with Tim and Jim from 7 to 9. Tyler Hork and I then take over from 9 to 11. Game day sports beat powered by Michelob Ultra. And then kickoff is at noon. So we got a lot going on this week, and also we've got Thursday Night Football here on WSBT Radio. Forgot about that. On paper, it looks like a terrific matchup. In reality, it is two struggling football teams, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens taking on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady and the Bucks scored three points at one win, Carolina, and lost 21-3. to That was supposed to be their get-right game. Well, it put them way back now in terms of trying to figure out how to be an NFC contender. But in the AFC, or I should say the NFC South, anything can happen. Three and four is currently in first place. But straight ahead, we've got Caveman Corner at the top of this hour. It is a look inside of Mishawaka High School Athletics, and I'm sure there'll be some focus on that big football game Friday night at Steel Stadium. Budweiser's weekday sports beat has been brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend football fans. This Bud's for you by South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949, the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future, Pet Refuges, ABC Clinics, South Burnett Drive-In, South Bend, Helping Fight Pet Overpopulation by Tim Growl. State Farm Insurance. For surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget, call Tim at 574-232-9981. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. And by Four Winds Casinos, your entertainment escape must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly. On the Notre Dame football injury front, we found out today why a couple of key defenders were on the sideline. Linebacker Jack Kaiser, a deep thigh bruise, and safety Brandon Joseph, who did have the role as a punt returner of the game, but... Not at safety. He has an undisclosed injury. Hopefully the Irish get those two players back. They will be needed taking on a Syracuse football team that is 6-1 and one and almost took down number 5 Clemson in Death Valley on Saturday, letting a second-half lead slip away and falling to the Tigers 27-21. It'll be a fun week here on the program. Hope we'll be back tomorrow. At 5 o'clock, Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 